Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and in this episode, I am joined by a superstar in our world, an awesome, fantastic figure within the world of HR and recruitment and talent and leadership, and that chap is Matt Charney, new head of industry and product marketing over at Smart Recruiters. Matt is one of the top experts in the world when it comes to talent and technology. He has an extensive expertise within the recruiting and HR tech industries with over 15 years of marketing leadership experience at global talent organizations like Monster Worldwide, Core and Stone On Demand, and the Allegis Group. Matt is also a partner in recruiting daily and uh, familiar regular listeners of this show will know that i've interviewed for example william tinkup a couple of times on this show before uh where where matt served as executive editor matt began his career in corporate talent acquisition as a sourcer and recruiter for companies such as warner brothers and the Walt disney company uh, at smart recruiters matt will be responsible for working closely with product and business leadership to deliver compelling core messaging, packaging, pricing, and go-to market campaigns. Matt, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show today, sir. And after that intro, it's my pleasure to be on here. Thank you very much. Sometimes, Matt, I get a bit giddy when I've got certain guests on, certain big names on, and I guess that's what just happened there in my intro. So forgive my giddiness having such a big name <laughs> no worries i need to start bringing you around as my hype man to everything <laughs> done i'll be there I'll, I'll carry the i'll carry the suitcase um beyond, beyond my reintroduction there though matt why don't you start by telling our listeners a wee bit more about yourself yeah so in addition to that being the best job interview question in the world um i basically care deeply about the world of work um more specifically how our individual identities and sense of self-worth are fairly inextricably bound to our careers and our jobs. And so for me, um, that's the North Star, to use a stupid marketing term. Um, but the way that you know, I, I think we get there is through technology. Uh, I'm a giant geek um, when I am not tweeting snarky things or appearing on podcasts. Uh, I am probably uh, on Twitch. Uh, playing some sort of game. So um, I think taking the worlds of of product and the worlds of jobs is uh, is kind of what I, I focus on. And I specifically like to bring up angles, questions, topics, and conversations uh, on things that might not be uh, discussed or thought about. Um, just because, frankly, as you said, I've been in this industry for 15 years and I get really bored. So I just try to keep myself entertained. Think videos out of reach for your recruiting, onboarding, and employee engagement efforts? With Powtoon, HR teams can easily grab employee attention with engaging videos and visual content for talent recruitment, employee onboarding, diversity and inclusion, employee well-being, company events, and more. Visit Powtoon.com today and use the promo code HRGazette15 to get 15% off any premium Powtoon plan. Powtoon, the visual communication platform. You recently joined Smart Recruiters as, as head of industry and product marketing. Congratulations. That's amazing. To, tell, me, tell me about the new role and, and what you hope to achieve there. Yeah, so I actually, it, it's very interesting because I am not from a 
voice, tone, or style, the most corporate person in the world, although I do have a lot of corporate background. But I've actually been uh, working with smart recruiters for almost the entirety of their 10 years in business. I actually met the CEO, Jerome, um, when he was uh, the founder of a company called Mr. Ted, uh, which he exited, obviously, prior to smart recruiters. So I've known the people there for quite a while. Um, in terms of a lot of the work that I, I've done in previous roles, uh, it's been about consulting with TA leaders and HR organizations about technology selection. Even before they paid me to say this, smart recruiters was always kind of my go-to uh, system, um, just because I think that it is one of the more intuitive and easy to scale and configure instances out there that still kind of got a modern feel. So um, essentially, smart recruiters reached out um, in looking at how they could uh, bring their message to market in, in a way that creates a little bit of differentiation. Because um, obviously, not all uh, recruiting platforms are alike, but you wouldn't know that from their marketing collateral. So really what I, I hope to do is a couple things. One is to help uh, expose you know, our, both our, our core product as well as our marketplace partners uh, to the wider community and help them tell their stories more effectively and also be able to give uh, a voice to the people who are actually doing the work um, as opposed to, quote, thought leaders. And more importantly, being able to know what's going on in the market. So we're not designing product or content or any of that in a vacuum. And it really aligns to what's actually going on as opposed to what Josh Burson says is going on based off of a survey. Oh, stinger, stinger. Okay. <laughs> so it's been quite a ride over the last 12 or so months uh, as we record this in, in early March. How, how has hiring changed since Q1 of 2020, Matt? And, and, and a big question. Yeah, how, yeah. How, 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 how have processes changed as, as a result of the pandemic and, and, and the result of remote hiring? Well, I actually think that it just accelerated some trends we would have seen anyway, um, particularly when it comes to talent, supply, and demand. Uh, it, it's never made a whole lot of sense to me why you have the exact same companies competing for the exact same talent pool in the exact same city when you truly have the ability to have a distributed workforce and therefore a global talent base. So I think that was sort of the move to not necessarily fully remote work, but distributed work was sort of an inevitability just based off of the, the Keynesian laws of supply and demand. Um, so I, I think that what we're seeing is a shift to the mentality of being able to find the best talent in the world as opposed to the best talent in the market that is interested in your company, um, which has put a certain emphasis, I think, on hiring for skills as opposed to culture fit. And what I think is actually one of the most fascinating byproducts of this is companies used to put work and, you know, as a physical space was their front and center selling point and the core around which they built culture. So now what you're starting to see is companies have to re-examine what culture means, how they do both hiring uh, processes as well as redeployment. Certainly as companies kind of tighten their belts uh, with a lot of uncertainty. And as a result, I think that we're starting to see a shift in mentality 
from this is the way it's always been done, um, you know, to here's what we need to do to succeed. There are no rules and there's no real status quo. And, and that's really encouraging to see, I think, for both candidates and companies. Do you not foresee a situation where uh, leaders, hiring managers will get back into bad habits and, yeah, okay, it's great to be able to uh, have a wider talent pool, a global talent pool right now, but um, perhaps some of those bad, bad habits will say, well, we prefer the the in the in person contact, the the camaraderie you get from that, the the ways that you can measure people and and really see how they're getting on. Do, do you not think inevitably we'll slip back into that? I, I do, but I I also think that they will be cutting themselves off for, again from the best talent to fill their positions. But more importantly, I think that um, for a huge percentage of the candidates who are ones who organizations pay to hire. So top passive, highly experienced, highly skilled talent. We spent a lot of money on employer branding and sourcing, but I think that ultimately like somebody's couch certainly has always beat their culture. Productivity is starting to fall off a little bit uh, from an all virtual workforce uh, is, is, you know, what we're seeing. I think a lot of that is obviously Zoom fatigue. I think that people would want the option to go into a co-working space. I don't think that they miss in-person interactions with teams so much as just in-person interactions. Um, so for me, the big, you know, TBD is whether or not companies continue to press flexible working arrangements or whether or not they are just trying to use technology to replicate the exact same working conditions um, as before. But I do think that you will start to see uh, positions that are require an office presence for exempt, highly skilled roles really have to think differently about how they comp, how they source, and how they message to the market. Because as I saw in a one of those amazing Forbes.com articles today, this is the new executive perk, is being able to work from home forever. So uh, I think that um, that will always be a selling point now that it is enabled. And uh, hiring managers will ultimately have to see uh, the pros and cons of that. But when it comes to preference, um, as you just said, uh, having to go in nine to five every day, that world I, I think is done for non-hourly workers. Let's talk a bit about the the, the shifts in, in the labor force. Obviously, it's been a traumatic time since Q1 of 2020 but I've, I've done some interviews with folk recently and they've said well bill by october november december at the latest we can expect to see a sudden surge in people who've just been sitting pretty on on their existing roles too too scared to move to, to move to new companies at the moment while while the pandemic is going on around us and, and all the instability that, that comes with that but there'll be this big surge of of uh, highly skilled highly talented candidates back on the market towards the end of 2021. Do, do you agree with that? Or do you think that people actually, they're perhaps a bit more cautious than that and, and they, they feel that the effects are going to be longer? It depends on what side of the marketplace you're talking about. Um, so uh, certainly when it comes to, as you said, highly skilled, highly sought after workers, I don't know 
how much is going to change for them if they don't have like timing components like an equity grant or something. Because if you're uh, somebody with uh, Ruby engineering experience sitting in a San Jose or Berlin, you know that the market is different than the overall labor market. And so I don't know that the uh, sourcing and candidate development component uh, is going to change all that particular much, particularly much. What I think you're going to to definitely see the biggest impact is is when companies start hiring at scale again, particularly for for hourly uh, workforce, customer service, uh, sort of those high turnover jobs, um, because you have uh, a bunch of people there who are staying. Because hey, if I'm in quick service. Uh, hospitality or retail, um, it would be stupid of me to still lose my job. But that's where you're going to start seeing the influx of turnover is um, is jobs that are what in the U.S. we would term essential. So frontline workers, hourly and uh, and and unskilled or inexperienced labor. Okay, thanks very much. Now I was watching a presentation by you. Uh, as part of another presentation or another video with you um, called Recruiting During a Recession. Uh, and it was at the Hiring Success uh, 2019 event in which you offered three tenets of recession-proof recruiting. Um, given that we are talking today in the context of um, economically, financially term, turmoil and tumultuous times and folk in in movement between jobs or looking for jobs and when when all that's going to happen i wonder perhaps if you could share those three lessons with our listeners walk us through each of those and, and just as a reminder number one is uh, make your hiring managers happy number two is work smarter analyze and refresh your recruiting tech stack and number three is monitor the competition number one keeping your hiring manager happy to me um there are two types of recruiters. There are what has been trendily called trusted advisors, which are people who actually know the business, understand what the line does, and are looking at more than a paper resume. They're looking at a, a job as a holistic fit. I, I think that that approach generally tends to look a lot more like casting than recruiting. So you're looking for chemistry and, and fit uh, as much as anything else. That only really happens when you know the hiring managers. And, and so the way to protect your job is and, and just build credibility within any organization uh, in order to affect change is, is you have to, to know the business. And if you come in and don't get uh, on your hiring manager side, who are ultimately your clients, if you think that's candidates, I'm sorry, you're wrong, um, then you can be replaced or outsourced quite easily. Uh, number two, uh, I would say, you know, work smarter, real important because obviously budgets are, are cut. A lot of companies are either doing internal redeployments or on hiring freezes. And what you're contrasting sort of the diminished market recruiting needs, um, that, that situation is, um, certainly exacerbated by the fact that you now have more candidates than ever before applying for jobs. So we've seen that number tick up by an average about 50 per job posting. So it's right now about 250 candidates. Do every one of those deserve a top-notch candidate experience? I don't know, 
but I think it's really going to be hard to scale. So what I would encourage is for recruiters to use this to take an opportunity to step back and focus on which parts of their jobs add value and which parts can be automated and start building some baselines, right? Because what recruiters generally are looking at is transactional statistics rather than how do we make an impact on, on business P&L. So again, if I'm spending my entire day building Boolean strings and throwing resumes into a database where nobody can look at them, I'm spending a half hour on a phone screen with a candidate that I know I will move through, dancing around the conversation around compensation. Well, these are things that can easily be automated away. So I think that recruiters really need to move from, let's say, hiring generalists to strategic specialists. And um, you can do that, obviously, with a number of tools on the market, uh, none of which sell themselves as AI, but certainly building in automation into any process, figuring out where you can actually save money by buying tech and um, where you can make yourself look like you're having the biggest impact with the least amount of budget or spend. These are all going to be um, the baseline for who wins um, in the next generation of recruiting, which honestly is sort of yet to be defined because we're seeing millions and millions of recruiting jobs lost History tells us that those are going to return in about three to five years. So competing with the next generation of recruiter who probably are either not in the workforce right now, work in sales or some non-related function, uh, I, I would say technology reporting uh, are going to be the biggest differentiations when it comes to uh, success, stability, and career advancement. And... What was my third point after that soliloquy? <laughs> uh, uh, it was uh, around monitoring the competition. Oh, yeah. So monitoring the competition, uh, again, is, is, is really important. To go back to that business impact thing, I think that most of the line, most of their hiring managers, um, everyone internally sort of heads down. Uh, it's something that recruiters obviously get into, um, whereby you, you just kind of, get in the habit of only looking at how your company does things. And when you expand and are able to look at the competition and be able to provide some competitive intelligence, um, then you add value to the business, to your hiring manager. And also you're able to, to much more easily build relationships and source. So, so, you know, one example that I think I always like to underscore is I can look at job descriptions You'll occasionally see this in actually the tech uh, tech news sites. Uh, posted job descriptions are the best source of competitive intelligence in the world. I can look at what jobs a direct competitor is posting, and oftentimes the salary, and be able to figure out at a fairly high level directionally where their business is going, what their needs are, and what capability gaps they're trying to address. Hiring managers don't have the time for that, but that information is gold. And it also helps to drive uh, a hiring success strategy. That's really interesting. And um, it kind of demands a, a separate interview with you, I think, around um, ways that one can play the system with job postings to confuse your competitors. Oh, I yeah. Think... I, I mean, RPOs uh, and staffing firms have a long history of, of what I'll call secret shopping. 
which is, um, you know, getting in as candidates with competitive intelligence. I don't know how many people are emphasizing it in job postings, but um, I think once people realize the wealth of information that's in there beyond the boilerplates and unreadable copy, it's going to really start being an area of focus, both from subterfuge and also uh, intelligence. Well, there you go, listeners. You learned everything on this show, including subterfuge. Um, <laughs> so in my giddy style, in my in my giddy state before before this interview with you today, Matt, uh, I, I was jotting down lots of different things I wanted to talk with you about because this is our first time on, on the show. And if you hated it, maybe you wouldn't come on again. So um uh, I'm, I'm running out of time. However, I did manage to combine a, a couple of key sort of concepts that I, I wanted to pick your brains about, uh, which was gig workers and uh, em, employee branding. And I managed to get into one question. So here we go uh, before we then do wrap up. And, and that's um, it's around tips for HR leaders who are looking to fill gaps in supplement departments with contingent workers. What, what are the benefits and negatives of developing a, a blended or hybrid pool of people resources and Matt what, what does hiring gig workers say about a brand well you don't hire gig workers um, <laughs> Good so, point. You, don't, you don't hire you absolutely are bringing on contractors uh, so really yeah I'm glad you brought this up because I think we're at a really interesting departure point and when you take uh, like you know what, what we call in marketing a persona um, of really any HR leader who'd be looking at that it's job security, right? Like we 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 want to add value, want to do this, but at the end of the day, we want to be able to know that that our jobs are safe and secure. The more that we start leaning on contingent hiring, uh, gig work, offshoring, and outplacement, the more that you are threatening uh, your own job stability because HR is among the easiest function to replace. Additionally, with gig and contingent workers, generally that doesn't run through HR at all. It runs through procurement. So you're taking away a lot of your workload. And I don't know that that's necessarily going to be in the best interest of anyone who's currently sitting in an HR department. But more importantly, HR, because they do define, you know, what I will call a social contract, which is the way that they deal with employees, partners, or whatever. It, it, gig economy is really, really sexy in the sense that why would I go out and hire somebody full-time when I can just get a one-off on Fiverr? Um, but you have to take a step back from price and understand that we are in human resources because we feel that, you know, humans are not widgets, which is essentially what they are in, on gig platforms, right? You are looking at the absolute an uh, antithesis of what you just said is employer branding, where there's no point in creating preference around a, a, a employer because all jobs are temporal and look the same. And also it, you know, diversity is, is sort of one of the top of the mind um, strategic imperatives right now. And so I think the more that you start depriving people of benefits, relying on temporal, you know, sort of working arrangements and provide no path for advancement or development, you are just not doing right by people. So I think that if we want to change human resources into the people function, which is certainly a move that you'll see in tech 
has been going on for quite some time with just that renaming convention. Um, an over-reliance on a total talent solution, so blended workforce, but airing towards the sides of contract, perm, uh, and, and supplemental labor. You're not hiring people because they're not your people. They're interchangeable. And that really takes away any strategic imperative HR is going to have. Now, in terms of employer branding, um, here's here's my big thing. Work is now something you do, not somewhere you go. And so companies really need to take a step back and think, what value are we giving the person? Or excuse me, yeah, what value are we as employers imparting to the people who we hire or work with? as opposed to we're the coolest company in the world, check us out. Um, certainly, uh, I think that we're erring on the side of um, looking at employer branding almost as a, uh, a recruiting discipline, which is certainly not. Um, I, I would love to see it move into HR, excuse me, from HR to PR and from more of a corporate communications function to corporate social responsibility function, because I think how you interact with the larger ecosystem uh, and your community is actually gonna be more important um, to general talent than what a day in the life of somebody sitting on their butts uh, on a Zoom call looks like, because we already know when it sucks. We are almost at the end of this interview, Matt. Before we wrap things up, how can our listeners connect with you? I know there are a gazillion different ways to connect with you and you're probably so cool that you're most likely even on TikTok. Um, and also how can they learn more about all of the awesome things that you and the team are getting up to over at Smart Recruiters? Yeah, I'm actually not on TikTok. Um, data privacy is not an issue that, that we discussed, uh, although probably critical oh, one. Yeah. Um, but best ways to reach me for all of you who are out there on Twitter, honestly, at Matt Charney, probably respond to you the fastest. So if you want to slide in my DMs, um, but if you also want to do me a favor and figure out what's up at Smart Recruiters, um, visit HiringSuccess.com, which is sort of where we're building a lot of our, um, you know, career advancement and capabilities uh, related content, uh, as well as sort of product success stories. And if you just want to talk trends, topics like hiring needs, um, email m.charney, C-H-A-R-N-E-Y at smartrecruiters.com and i'm a giant nerd so i am always down to talk talent awesome and listeners you can also check out an interview with jerome from smart recruiters from uh i think it's november of 2020 so check that out on the on the hr chat feed uh that just leads me to say for today matt charney you amazing fabulous superstar in the space thank you very much for being a guest on this episode of the hr chat show thank you very much for your exceptional taste <laughs> and listeners as always until next time happy working and please do continue to stay safe thank you for listening to the hr chat podcast brought to you by the hr gazette